This is Tech Talk for Accountant Show, where we discuss the hottest topics, tools, apps, and trends in the accounting industry. This show is sponsored by Rush Tech Support, who is offering all listeners of the show a free IT audit so you can know whether or not your business is at risk of being hacked, having a data breach, or getting fined hundreds of thousands of dollars for non-compliance. You can schedule a free check at rushtech.online/podcast. So, Rod, why don't you give the listeners of the show a little background on who you are and what brought you into this position of being an expert in this field? Well, sure. And thanks again for the opportunity to be here. I was formerly the risk and internal control officer for Siemens Corporation, and I was doing research as well, and I retired from that. And I was very interested in analytics. And I teach advanced auditing and information technology in the Rutgers MBA program. And I'm involved in, in research with Rutgers and other universities. And I was fascinated to learn to see this phenomena of blockchain. I'm one of these people who have a provocative message as an educator that what we do today in accounting and reporting is woefully inadequate. And when I see technology, cryptographically secured technology like blockchain, I get excited about the opportunity to really improve assurance, compliance, tax, and financial reporting. And so then I began working with a company called Luca. They make middle and back office reporting, tax and financial reporting and auditing software for the blockchain industry and cryptocurrency industry. And as I saw this technology, I realized that this is what the future is going to be about for many things, not for everything, but for many things. And the simple reason is that ultimately it's cheaper, better, faster, and way more secure than what we do today. So I continue to work with the AICPA and ISACA I'm on teams with them developing risks and internal controls for financial reporting with and some of the regulators with blockchain. So that I'm kind of passionate about it. I think it's something that, again, it's not for everything, but where it works, where it applies, where you need a central, I mean, a distributed network, it's an outstanding technology. And for the people that maybe they've heard the buzzwords, the blockchain and the Bitcoin and you know the countless other cryptocurrencies, and I'm sure most people remember the boom in was that late 2017 when, oh, you got to get in on Bitcoin. It's going to mm-hmm. be this huge investment opportunity. And just like any currency when you're trading, it's a speculation right. on right. the value. But what you're referring to with the blockchain underlying technology, correct? That's, yeah. that's more of where you see the opportunity, not invest in Bitcoin, you'll become rich. But right. the underlying technology of blockchain and what all these things are based off of. And can you give us a little insight as to what exactly blockchain is and how that's helpful? Sure. And I think that a good distinction is something like this, that if you think of DOS or iOS, that's the blockchain. Bitcoin, Ethereum, cryptocurrencies, or even tokenized assets are simply app applications that run on the blockchain. And the real, as you said, the real underlying technology is the blockchain. And simply put, you know, a blockchain is simply a distributed ledger and being a district that's cryptographically secure. And what makes it so efficient is it's a peer-to-peer network. So it's a network where the everyone that's on the network gets a full copy of the network, in the case of Bitcoin blockchain, every 10 minutes. And it's cryptographically secured using hashing and other technology such that you can't really hack it. 
And I think that's one of the most important things. Now, what makes it very difficult is the controls and the risks are very different than central databases. We did research at Rutgers looking at how are you going to audit a blockchain? So, for example, if I asked you to audit the Bitcoin blockchain, that would be like asking you to go audit the Internet because no one owns it. It's open source. It's worldwide phenomena. It never closes. And so and most blockchains are that way. I think what we're going to see more and more now, there's certainly cryptocurrency has been in the forefront of blockchains and financial services, but there's a lot of other applications. So technology applications, tokenization. I might at some point own a dollar of every building in New York and I can trade that and have futures. I can borrow money, lend money, do so many things on a distributed network. But it's a very different technology. That's really important. And I think that's the natural progression of just what money is and currency is in this day and age. And, you know, it's like, well, back in the day, they were trading chickens and that wasn't convenient. So we, you know, used gold and then there was the gold standard and each dollar represented a piece of gold. And then Reagan was like, nah, just money's money. But we all agree that money is money. And it's kind of funny, you know, I'll look at my children and it's like one of those tricks that like the older kids play on the younger kids. It's like, I will give you five $1 bills instead of just one $20 bill. Five is more than one And to the younger one. They're like, (laughs) oh yeah, five is more than one. And so, I mean, this has so many layers to it, but it's kind of the value of something is really the value that we all agree upon. Like that's kind of the the idea of really money is that we all agree that if I hand you a $100 bill, that you could take that same $100 bill and get essentially $100 of services or products. And we all have come to agree that $100 is worth $100 and it has that intrinsic value. And that's the number on the bank account. There's not actually that much money in the physical bank or in, you know, Rod's seller at the bank where you can pull out the same dollar that you put in and and take out. It's really, we just all agree on these numbers. And so the natural progression of that into this crypto world where some people kind of are like pump the brakes There isn't actual money behind it. And then it's kind of asked the question, was there actual money or do we all just agree that that number in the bank account? So, I mean, I can go down a huge rabbit hole in like the psychology of money and finance and where this is all going. So this version though, so we're on the blockchain sort of operating system and it's super secure, but The flip side of that is how do you audit something, like you said, nobody owns? Do they get together with, and the name's escaping me, but like the brokerage firms, I I can't think of, like Coinbase, for instance, are they the ones, yeah, the exchanges, are they essentially part of the equation for how we can monitor these things or, you know, what does it look like? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what the challenge is. And I know I work with the big four and the firms as well, and everyone's trying to figure out how are we going to audit blockchain? And some people claim, Andrew, that, well, we don't really need to audit it because it's so secure, but that's really not the case. For example, blockchains run smart contracts and those smart contracts execute automatically 
and they have risks to them. So there's new sets of risks and new sets of assertions with a blockchain. And we really do need to audit it because, for example, tax reporting, you know, you have transactions going across a blockchain. And if you're a, especially if you're a public institution, you're going to need to have accreditation of any system that those transactions ran through, whether it's an exchange, which is a central database or a blockchain. And we need to accredit that with, you know, service order audits like SOC audits and that kind of thing. But again, who's going to do it? That's the thing. Now, now of course, you, you know the distinction, there's private and public blockchains, but even in a private blockchain, if I have a private blockchain that's made up of, let's say, a group of banks doing cross-border payments, you know, I all of us banks under the regulation still have to have that blockchain somehow audited. And it's difficult because, again, there is no owner. It is absolutely more secure, but there are other risks in blockchain, such as smart contracts. You know, are we following the consensus mechanism that was designed with the blockchain to keep it secure? You know, all those types of things. I want to mention, too, that I think the other reason that it's this is such an exciting area, Andrew, is it really is going to revolutionize and allow some 2 billion people in the world that can't participate in the banking and financial systems today to really monetize things and to make frictionless transactions that are much more efficient and allow people who currently aren't are unbanked in the world to participate. And that's part of the sort of altruistic reason this is of such interest to me. So. And so where do the institutions, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, everyone's trying to make money. So do the institutions, and I just use Coinbase as an example, because I feel like that's just sort of ubiquitous with like one of the bigger exchanges, but where are they making money in this? Is it taking a transaction fee off each piece? How does that work if nobody technically owns it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, if I Coinbase, and remember, they are part of the blockchain ecosystem, but they are not a blockchain. You know, if you go to Coinbase, you sign up, you buy some coins, they get a transaction fee from each of those coins. They also, you know, many of them will provide storage or custody. Many of them now are providing lending services where you can borrow and lend money. So they're they're commissioned there. Now, an interesting thing that most people don't know about blockchain and crypto, Andrew, is and the reason when you audit it, you need to audit the entire ecosystem is that when you and I own, say, Bitcoin on a blockchain with Coinbase, we have an account with Coinbase, any transactions of buying and selling it go from another exchange or from the Coinbase direct or from Bitcoin directly, that is recorded on the blockchain. But if I sell five Bitcoin to you in Coinbase, Coinbase nets those transactions and those actual transactions do not show up in the blockchain. So people don't know that. And so when we audit, we've got to audit the entire ecosystem. That includes the exchanges, the banks or or whoever that's involved, the blockchain itself, et cetera. So they wouldn't be able to do just like a personalized audit. Say, for instance, they go on my account and see what has come in and gone out because there isn't the equal ledger on the other side of who made that money come in where did that go to? So it has to be on the entire ecosystem because they couldn't just go through individual by individual by individual. It needs to be accounted for on a whole. Do I understand that correctly? Right. Absolutely. And what we found out is in practice is that most people that transact, for example, in cryptocurrencies, and Luca makes some really neat tax software that goes out to all of the exchanges, 
and all of the blockchains and validates and pulls these transactions into what we call a secure system of record. And then I can do the tax reporting because, for example, if you have Coinbase and you also have Polonex and Kraken and 10 other exchanges, and there's over 200 of them now, who's going to send you your 1099 for your trades? You know, and, and that's the other thing that that's not even happening yet. You know, they're still trying, the IRS and others are trying to figure out how we're going to do 1099s when you only have part of the picture, you know, if you trade, for example, with Coinbase. So it's a very complicated. And the other thing is that cryptocurrencies are demonetized out to eight to 16 positions, eight for Bitcoin, Ethereum, 16 positions. So trying to calculate that on an Excel spreadsheet is overwhelming, you know, because you have all these transactions that happen. And then you're also, because the IRS ruled that cryptocurrencies are property, you're also going to often pay a fee on the exchange. And that fee could be in a property, meaning another cryptocurrency. So you've got gain, capital gains and losses, not just on what you traded short or long term, depending on if you held it for a year or more, but you also have capital gains and losses on the fee that you paid in a cryptocurrency. You know, so it's a nightmare. To, and this is what people are really you know the IRS is taking enforcement actions, as you know, while still not providing a whole lot of clarity on all the topics that you need to really do reporting. So this is urgent, and I, I make this plea with people that. You know, this isn't some technology down the road that we got to, you know, see how it emerges. This is here now. There are hedge funds, high net worth individuals, millennials, mining pools, mining companies, banks, exchanges that are all already have report tax and financial reporting to do today now. So we as the accounting profession, we need to start figure this out quick and, and support people. in doing. So what are some of the things that you guys are doing at Luca? that kind of facilitates this process. Okay, so what we're doing is we built APIs and access to all of the major exchanges and all of the major blockchains. So if you came in and you, you've been trading as an individual or as an entity, a hedge fund or whatever, we're extracting or ingesting those transactions into one central database for your tax and financial reporting. And we're enriching the data by providing valuation. And this is a whole other topic we could do another podcast on, but how do you value cryptocurrencies? Okay, so, but we have a methodology that follows the FASB, ASC 820 and IFRS 13, which talks about how to value at fair value and following US GAAP and, and IFRS. So they provide a tool that does that for you, whether you're an individual or there's an enterprise tool as well if you're an entity. And it's really, critical in the crypto world because the experience we have is most people don't trade just in Bitcoin or just in Ethereum. They have hundreds of cryptocurrencies across hundreds of exchanges, across hundreds of jurisdictions. And so, you know, sitting down with your spreadsheet and trying to figure that out is is overwhelming. So, so that's basically, they provide these tools to, and then the other one is reference data. Okay. So it's the wild west out there, Andrew. So some people call Bitcoin BTC, some call it BCH, you know, the, the nomenclature is totally different. So we have to normalize that first before you can do your tax and financial reporting. And that's another key area. So with all of this craziness and like you described, kind of the Wild West, what direction do you see it going in? So I, you had mentioned the normalization of we have all accepted and agreed upon this is the way that Bitcoin works, just like we have all agreed on this is what the US dollar 
looks like and how this acts, how this behaves. We've got fiat currency on lockdown, but now what do you think the future is going to look like with cryptocurrency and taxation, especially in the accounting field? Well, first of all, I don't think there's any stopping it now. I mean, Never. I mean, there's a, there's enough going on out there that this <laughs> is here to stay. And you're going to wake up on the wrong side of history if you decide, like many of our legislators have, that this is a you know nefarious tool for criminals to use and everything. Well, that was originally. Yeah, yeah. The- what, what I see happening, in fact, you're you're kind of an idiot if you're a criminal to use a blockchain because you're forever memorialized on that blockchain, and you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna get caught, you know, because because you're 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 documenting what you're doing. But what I see happening is there's a maturation that's going to be you know a step one step forward and a step back and two steps forward, etc. And I think. You're seeing a lot of phenomena, both with technology. You know, one of the limitations of blockchains, of course, is what we call scalability. You know, so for example, Bitcoin can do seven transactions a second right now. American Express can do 25,000 a second. So that's one. Bloat is another one. If we're going to send a ledger out all every day to or every 10 minutes to everybody on the network, that ledger can't be too big. You know, because if it's too big, you're going to have problems receiving it on the other end. But what I picture happening, there's things coming now. Stable coins are very popular now. This whole DeFi area, we're using distributed networks to do all kinds of financial transactions peer to peer. This is going to continue, but it's not crypto anarchists anymore that are doing this. It's people that want to get approval from the SEC, want to get be in line with the guidance that the IRS and others provide. And the banks and some of the big public institutions are sitting a little bit on the sidelines, but they're getting in as fast as they can. Great example would be JP Morgan. You know, they were, you know, totally Jamie Dimon and them totally against this technology. Now they're, they're making it happen. So I think we're going to see that maturation continue. We need help from the regulators, but we don't want the regulators to, you know, jump in with both feet and take over. You know, we, we need, they need to, like they did with the internet, kind of see how things progress here a little bit. So I think it's going to happen and faster rather than later. And what we all need to do is work together and to facilitate it and to figure out how to audit it, because if we can't audit it, it's going to be a governor on the adoption. And I'm sure that when there's that type of money behind it, that it's not like it was 10 years ago where kind of people in the know we're discussing it. I mean, now, I mean, right. I think just the other day, PayPal said that now they're dealing with cryptocurrency and Cash App a couple months ago, have that as part of their platform too. So I think you're absolutely right. I don't see any reason even why it would slow down. It's not like it was even three years ago where it was the hot button item flavor of the week. Three months, you it goes from, was it like a thousand to like 17,000? And it's like, oh yeah, Bitcoin, you just make money because it's blockchain. And, and no one really understood what they were doing. It was more just, you buy this and it just keeps going up. And so I personally wasn't on that wave. I, it's just nothing makes sense. I think it's just hot because it's hot and no one could really actually explain as well as you have <laughs> about what exactly blockchain is? Why is this the future? Why is this the direction that everybody's going to? I think it was more just, I'll make money because every time I put money into Bitcoin, it's worth more twice as much in a week. And it was 
I mean, that that's kind of how every sort of speculation sure. and Forex, I mean, it's essentially that. So what really, is there a difference aside from the encryption and from the blockchain aspect of it? What are some of like the larger differences, say, then if we were trading US dollar versus a euro in Forex minus not having like the fiat paper in your hand? Well, I think something to realize is that for one thing, in most cases, and you explained it very well, that, you know, we only have value in a dollar or a euro because there's a perceived value. And the backing of a dollar or a euro is only backed based on its value. And if like we're doing today, we print trillions of dollars of new money, we're devaluing that currency on a regular basis. Most cryptocurrencies or many of them are deflationary. So there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin in the whole world by the year 21,040. And so it has the potential of gaining value. And I'm not here to say that Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency, in fact, the ones that make it may not even be here yet. Another big issue, of course, is the central bank digital currencies, which are coming out. And the U.S. is working on that as well as China and some other places. But I think some of the biggest key differences are, again, the security part. Let me share this story very quickly. If you and I work at Citibank and we're DBAs, you're an IT guy, right? And we decide that we don't like our jobs and we want to do something nefarious. If we collude and work together, I can issue you, for example, a super user access to the system that they use, SAP or whatever it is. I can issue it, but I can't use it. You can use it, but you can't issue it. So it's a four eyes principle. And that's how our entire accounting and auditing system works today. It's all based on four eyes principle. I'm also a certified fraud examiner with the ACFE. And if you look at the 2020 report to the nations, which is available on their website, 51% of the actual frauds, actual cases that were identified were collusive. And so if in any financial institution, most all of the controls are based on four I principles. That's how we audit. That's an, I don't care if you're a big four firm or an internal audit group. And so if people are colluding, they've overridden the entire control system. But with a blockchain, I don't have four eyes. I have 10, 100, 1,000, a million in the case of something like a big network like Bitcoin. And when you have a network effect, so this whole idea of security, I think, is real key because we have Sarbanes-Oxley, we have Dodd-Frank, and we're still getting hacked like crazy. It happens every week, you know, to me personally, and I'm tired of it, you know, so. Well, (laughs) yeah, it does happen every week and every minute, but every every week is accurate. What I'm saying is, and and, and the other other alternative is to audit. And what we need to do is use population-based continuous auditing on central database systems. And that means using analytics and monitor every transaction. There's a guide in the accounting field in auditing that says that N equals 30 is an adequate sample size because it approaches a normal distribution. There's no empirical evidence for that assertion. Really? It's pra- yeah, it's just a practical- I was a s- statistics minor once upon a time. Yeah, it's just a practical assertion in order to be able to afford to do auditing today. But again, when you get to blockchain, now you've got, you've got population-based analytics running on every transaction on every block. You've got, instead of four eyes, 10, 100, 1,000 eyes on every transaction. This is what's fundamentally different. That level of control, precision, and security is what we've got to have. And we're biting around the edges everywhere else trying to get that kind of... And I believe that 
doing continuous auditing, even of a central database, creates a perception of monitoring that mitigates fraud. But still, the control system is still based on usually on four eyes principle. And so with that many eyes on it, the opportunity or ability to even conceivably be able to commit fraud, essentially, it becomes too difficult to commit because you and I can't be in on it. And if you look at our controls and paper trail, it's like, well, Rod covered his tracks, Andrew covered his tracks. And, you know, now we've got to really dig and figure out. And I mean, I'm far from a fraud investigator, but I'll just, you know, what I see on movies. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but but we, we cover our tracks and, you know, hopefully get away with it. But in, in this case, too many pieces are in motion to even kind of pull it off because you couldn't possibly, well, I guess, you know, hypothetically, you couldn't possibly get all of the pieces in place in order to effectively commit fraud through blockchain just by virtue of how the whole thing works. And it's not just, well, I'm a bank and, you know, here's the ledger and see, fraud was not committed, but just it's so big. They're just it stops becoming a thing. Like if we started with that and didn't have the banking system, how we currently have probably the whole auditing piece of it and the fraud piece of it, it would be a lot less of a concern because it's, it's just not at the forefront. It doesn't take, like you said, the four eyes to be able to pull it off in some capacity. That's, that's fascinating. And I'm, yeah, it is. It's something that, you know, if we, really realized how vulnerable we are today with our systems and that we're most of the fraud we're not finding <laughs> because we are doing samples of 30 in databases of hundreds of thousands of records. And, you know, the opportunity for fraud is huge, you know, to, but if we leverage blockchain and use it right, and again, I want to be clear, it's not for everything. If you have a heavy data type function you know, you're going to put x-rays and medical records on a blockchain, you're going to bloat that blockchain, it's going to get too big to distribute. And there's ways around that as well with technology. But yeah, I think we need to recognize, but the way and this is interesting too. that think about this, Andrew, that, you know, the Bitcoin blockchain, for example, or Ethereum, it was developed by crypto anarchists, you know, these weren't accountants or auditors, right? (laughs) But it's never been hacked. Now, where the risk is, is with smart contracts, because I have this cell phone here and every day I have updates on apps, which are just programs, just code that were developed by really smart people. But programs have problems. And, you know, and, and so so that's one of the big areas of risk with blockchain. When you put these smart contracts on because you can't change them and they run and they're just as secure as the data on the network. So if you have a contract and it says, if the Chiefs win this weekend in football, I'm going to pay Andrew $5,000 and they're going to take it out of my account. It's going to happen and I can't stop it because it's on the blockchain, you know, so, but that's where the, that's where the biggest risk is probably with smart contracts, you know, or garbage in garbage out. Very, very. That's one of like the byproduct sidebars on this podcast. I learned so much from so many people in just all these different fields. It's, it's, incredible, just the wealth of knowledge that comes from people like you, Rod. And I want to be conscious of your time. But if people want to learn more about you and your organization, where can they go to find more online? Yeah. Well, you can go to Luca, L-U-K-K-A dot tech, T-E-C-H. 
That's the company. I'm an advisor for them and I work with research. The Rutgers Continuous Auditing Laboratory or contact me directly at rod.brennan at verizon.net. Glad to talk to him. And by the way, I stand on the shoulders of some really smart people doing research. It's not me. It's uh, PhD students and professors and researchers at the firms and the AICPA and other places. So we're, we're learning. We're all learning this. Let me encourage your audience with one last thing. Go out and buy a little bit of cryptocurrency. Buy 50 bucks worth on whatever exchange you want to use, but a reputable one. Not to make money, but to learn the technology. It's one of the best ways to learn it. Just just buy 50 bucks worth and trade it and learn about how it works. And it'll help you understand blockchain better. And that was kind of my experience with it too, when we, we had worked with other countries and crypto is just the easiest way to do business with them. And so I was like, I'm kind of hesitant. And I mean, really that's, it's minimal differences between the crypto and just, you know, if it's a bank of America app or Coinbase app, I mean, it yeah. actually probably the, the better analogy would be like a stock brokerage exchange. So your E-Trade app versus the Coinbase is very, very similar. It's pretty intuitive too. And once, like you said, once you, you get kind of a hands-on experience, it stops being this crazy, oh, well, I'm, I don't understand it. And for 50 bucks to understand and learn it hands-on. Absolutely. Know, there really isn't even, okay, I guess the worst thing that happens is this whole thing was made up and you lost $50, I guess. Right, right. <laughs> and you could be part of the story of how everyone thought it was so secure and turns out it wasn't. But Rod, thank you so much for being on the Tech thank Talk you. for Accountants show. And guys, if you enjoyed the episode, please like it and subscribe. It's how we grow the channel and get amazing guests like Rod on. And Rod, we'll keep in touch. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Stay safe. Thank you for listening to the Tech Talk for Accountants show. Be sure to subscribe if you like the show. And remember, if you would like a complimentary IT audit of your business, go to rushtech.online slash podcast to schedule a time with a certified technician who can look over your current IT systems and make recommendations on how to make sure you and your clients are safe.